My name is Cora Hughes, and I studied the Higher Diploma in Computing at NCI. I found that the stereotype of computing being male-dominated wasn't the case at NCI. NCI's diversity, that's what I loved. Everybody was friendly and so supportive. When I see myself now, I see living proof that I proudly belong in computing. On Thursday, May 12th from 5 to 7pm, join us for NCI's online open evening and learn about our full and part-time courses in business, computing, psychology and education. To register, visit ncirl.ie. Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. Welcome along to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest today. My thanks to everyone who got in contact regarding last week's programme, discussing the areas of regulation and social media use. You can listen back to the episode on our podcast or on our website at newstalk.com or search on News Talks iTunes. And as always, you can contact us today by emailing between the lines at newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, coming up today, we're going to be discussing the rental market in 2019. We'll be asking what can be done to try and reduce rents and to make more rental properties available. To discuss today, we're joined in studio by our panel, the Information Officer with the Irish Property Owners Association, Margaret McCormack, John McCafferty, who's the CEO of Threshold, and also the Head of School of Surveying and Construction Management at TU Dublin, Tom Dunn. My thanks to you all for joining us today. Can I just maybe start, first of all, just to give us a very brief insight just into your own background and what it is that your own respective organisations do. If I can maybe just start with you, first of all, uh, John Mark McCafferty, Threshold. What exactly is Threshold? We're a charity. Um, we work primarily with renters in the private rented sector uh, and we provide advice to renters, um, but we also advocate on behalf of renters um, who have issues in the private rented sector. We mediate al- alongside um, landlords. Um, and our core work really is about, right now, is about saving tenancies through our tenancy protection service. We've been around for over 40 years now, um, providing information and advice with renters. But given um, the crisis in housing over the last five, six years, particularly in the private rented sector, um, what we've been tasked to do is arming renters with the information and the advice that they need, but primarily to um, save tenancies um, and assist them to hold on to those tenancies as, as, as long as possible in a market which is um, particularly difficult mm. in terms of cost, in terms of security of tenure, and often in terms of quality. So I guess we are associated mostly with with tenants. Yeah, lobbying, um, I suppose. Be fair to say you're here to, to, to lobby or advocate for the, for the renter. Yeah, I, because we're a service provider, we use that information to make the case to, to government, to local government and to central government about the needs of renters, particularly people who are on uh, middle and low incomes. Okay. Yourself, Mark McCormack, the Irish Property Owners Association, I assume that, that it's all in the title. Uh, a lot of it's in the title, yes. We're a representative organisation. We're established since 1993. We're not for profit. We're, we run uh, courses and information events for members. We run an advice line, again, because the situation around the private rental sector and the legislation is so complicated. Uh, we would lobby and campaign on behalf of, of property owners in the sector. So we try to assist uh, property owners and landlords in managing their property. 
And for yourself, Tom Dunn, I suppose you're in the uh, the, the general oversight. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, well, uh, in Bolton Street, where I have my uh, place of work, uh, we've been educating property and uh, construction professionals for generations. Uh, in my own case, I've been a lecturer there for uh, 30 something years now. And uh, one of the things I did many, many years ago was I chaired the Government Commission on the Private Rented Residential Sector, which led to a report, and that led that report led to the uh, 2004. Residential Tenancies Act. Okay. Fair to say we've a real wide um, range of experience here around the panel table for us today. Look, maybe just I'll start with yourself, John Mark McCafferty, because we are talking about rents and the state of the rental sector here in Ireland at the moment, good and bad. But just talk us through from your own perspective, the current state of the rental market today in 2019. Sure. Well, if we look at average rents, okay, so there's there's a, there's a, a massive kind of spread of different rents depending on the, the the home and the and and the household needs. But in Dublin, you're looking at average rents of over sixteen hundred um, a month. Um, in the kind of commuter counties, average rents of, of nearly twelve hundred a month. Um, and then places like Cork, Galway, Limerick, just over a thousand. So that's the state of play in terms of the costs, in terms of affordability. Um, we've done a, a survey um, and we've launched it just in the, the last number of days around um, people who are in receipt of the housing assistance payment. Mm. And while um, there are a lot of very good things in relation to that payment, what we found is that top-ups which are permissible under the housing assistance payment um, can place a good number of households under s- s- very significant financial pressure. Um, for example... 20% of the people that we um, surveyed, now these are all uh, threshold clients, um, but nevertheless, one-fifth of all those that we surveyed reported that they spent more than 30% of their income on rent. Um, 10% of those we surveyed said that they spent over 40% of their income on rent. That's huge mm-hmm. financial pressure on a family if they're also trying to budget for things like utility, you know, rising utility bills, school costs, health costs, and, and other costs just to, you know, have a normal life. Um, we also found that of those that topped up in the survey, that 45% of them reported that they were under financial stress as a result of having to top up. So that's the reality for many of the renters out there and many of the renters that we are assisting and advising. I suppose, Margaret, you're kind of here representing the the actual la- um, the landlords, effectively. And the funny thing is that we've so many people currently in the rental market or they're experiencing the rental sector at the moment and we just we don't have enough properties for people. No, supply is key and we need an awful lot more supply and we need an awful lot more social housing. Just, the requirements across the sector are huge. Uh, for landlords, uh, the huge difficulties around the complexity of legislation, the taxation treatment of, of the sector. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to stay in the market with the current taxation treatment of the sector. It, it's, it's hugely difficult. And I don't think that tenants would understand uh, the situation around the finances. But it, in general, you, the, rent, uh, the mortgage is, is uh, involved or you, you get into a mortgage situation. So you borrow for the property. Then in, in that case, you obviously have to pay back the borrowings. Now, this year they gave back the 100% interest. But up to this year, we would, uh, the market was, wasn't on 100% mortgage interest. And that's the interest that we have to pay back to the bank. So if a landlord is borrowed, they have to pay back their interest to the bank. They have to pay back their capital to the bank if, they, if it's a capital and interest loan. And when, in, in the Irish tax treatment, uh, the, you're allowed to offset the mortgage interest 
And then after that, you're in a situation where uh, some expenses, some of the rental expenses you're allowed because not all rental expenses are allowed. And anything after that is classified as profit and has to be has to be is taxed at that taxed stage. Yeah. So it's taxed before it, it, there's any sort of repayment on the capital. So in a lot of cases, an awful lot of the percentage of of the income was actually going back to the state. So we we've got USC, we've got LPT, we've got um, income tax at your marginal rate, and this PRSI. So all of that goes, and then. You're looking at having uh, whatever's left is goes to the landlord, and in a situation where a landlord is lucky enough to own their own property, over fifty percent goes back to the, the uh, revenue in taxation. So, in the Nearly, event yeah, that you, as a landlord, own your property, fifty percent of your profits are paid in tax. Oh, over over fifty percent. Which would be the case, yeah, any, anyway, with regards to the tax system. Over yeah, over fifty percent of it will go back to to the uh, tax office. Uh, so or to revenue. So the difficulty for, for a lot of landlords, in, in, in some cases, it's actually 62%. But when you're looking at that and then you're looking at the time and energy involved around the sector and, and, and letting it, it's an investment and it has to have a yield or we won't have investors investing mm. in it. And our, our situation now is, is we're seeing that an awful lot of landlords are actually leaving the sector. Well, I suppose the thing about it is, Tom Dunn, we, we have so, you know, we're so reliant on the private rental sector to provide accommodation in Ireland. There's huge demand, particularly in urban areas and very specifically here in Dublin as well. But as Margaret pointed out there, you know, in some instances for landlords, there's no profit margin in this. Yeah, this is true. And in fact, as Margaret said, landlords, uh, a particular type of landlord is leaving the market. The landlord who was either an accidental landlord or who chose to invest in it as part of their own personal pension fund, uh, they find that the investment isn't as lucrative as uh, it, it might be and it's far, far more troublesome. And they are pulling out the evidence is there that there is a pull out of the market by that sort of landlord. Um, but at the same time, there is an increasing interest in uh, um, providing accommodation in the private rental sector from corporates or from institutions or even from um, people who put their money together and uh, are investing in it. And that points to something which is kind of interesting, which is the, the investment by ordinary individuals in the private rental sector is kind of very risky. And the reason it makes it, it it's worthwhile for large investors is you can spread those risks over a large number of units. It's like classic investment strategy. You spread your risks, uh, you reduce uh, the, the risks. And uh, for an individual, or and most of the landlords in this country own one or most two houses, for them, it's kind of a it's kind of a, an invest an investment that is risky, and one of the big flaws in the government policy is it is assumed uh, within rebuilding Ireland within the general stance of government policy that investing in the private rental sector is lucrative and that with rents being very high. Uh, the market will come in and supply accommodation to the market. And was, that isn't working. Okay, Was that policy adapted, though, maybe perhaps without realising the knowledge or under, having the foresight to see that, I suppose, our makeup of our rental sector is quite different and that it's made up of so many different components that you touched on between the buy-to-let and the accidental and the vulture funds and the, the, the cuckoo funds and all of these various different kind of components. Yeah, it's a, it's a myth to say ours is particular. There's a, Most European countries have private rental sectors, some similar to ours. A lot of them have private rental sectors that are supplied by housing associations or by pension funds or by other organisations who, as part of their investment strategy, are prepared to invest in the private rental sector. And we're finding that in Dublin now. I mean, for instance, uh, out in Cherrywood, there's a Dutch pension fund that was set up to fund the pensions of Dutch civil servants. 
they are investing in houses in Cherrywood. Uh, so they are seeing Ireland as just a normal European country and as they might invest their money in Germany or in France or in Holland, they're investing money in the private rental sector here. So this is beginning to happen. What the problem is though, uh, that the kind of stuff they're interested in investing in is not one-off houses are not a house in an estate here mm. and a house in an estate here. They've got to be able to manage it in a, a controlled and, uh, you know, profitable way. And that can only be done if you buy blocks of apartments. So are, they want the 100 apartment high-rise block that's it, been developed? They, they would like 200, 300, 400 uh, unit apartments. Uh, you know, you could say that once you get below 40 units, they're probably not that interested um, because you can't get the returns to um, you know, management resources uh, if you don't do it at scale. I will ask the other two panellists in, in just a moment, but do you see a problem with that? We separate the, the need versus perhaps the moral or ethical decisions to purchase, but what's wrong with not specifically this particular Dutch fund you're talking about, but any fund coming in and buying up property, if it's there, it's fair game. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it, uh, provided it's all properly regulated. And again, our uh, Residential Tenancy Act, although it was designed to accommodate that kind of accommodation, it also has regimes in it that are designed to accommodate uh, you know, landlords who have one or two houses. Uh, for an example, if you have one house and you need that house for yourself or for your family, the, the, the legislation allows you to sell that house, or if you need to, or to occupy it and get your tenant out. Now, the large funds are not interested in selling or interested in, in getting the accommodation back. But our legislation is set up not necessarily to regulate the large funds. It's set up to regulate the broader market. And it has features that end up with, uh, you know, issues which are real problems for tenants to wish uh, security of tenure. That's the biggest one. Security of tenure and security of, of, of rent. If more clarity could be provided, I suppose, John Mark McCafferty, just from the threshold perspective around that security of tenure, as, as Tom has, has touched on there and mentioned, would you have less of an issue with the likes of these kind of so-called vulture funds or big funds coming in and purchasing properties? I mean, there's a place for larger investors. Um, I guess the question is whether or not they're, they're interested and they have a, a price point which is going to be affordable for the, the renters that we are advising and assisting. I guess, the, as has been mentioned um, by, by, um, by Tom, um, security of tenure is absolutely key. Um, and, and that's why it's important to note that government policy um, around housing people on lower incomes is focused on things like the housing assistance payment. You know, in, in years previous, it was the rent supplement um, system. Um, but it kind of assumes that, or in fact, it, it formally states that if someone is in receipt of the housing assistance payment, their housing needs have been met. Now, um, the housing needs may have been met from the point of view of some of the cost considerations, but in terms of security of tenure, being in the private rented sector and receipt of HAP is a very different experience from being a tenant in either a local authority um, house or uh, a housing association house or what we might call an approved housing body house. Mm. That is fundamental. And when we talk about security of tenure, what are we talking about? We're talking about um, renters who are worried that their landlord may, may sell, that their landlord may do substantial renovation, which necessitates the tenant leaving uh, and, and effectively having the tenancy um, ended. There could be a situation where the te the landlord or landlord's family member um, wishes to move in to that property. And again, uh, that tenancy can come to an end. 
or indeed there's a thing called there's a certain part of the legislation that can allow for uh, the, the ending of a tenancy at a particular point in the tenancy but we do no do we, we do though uh, John at this stage have government policy very kind of specifically stipulating the grounds on which you as a landlord can 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 do that decide that I want to put Andrea out of you know whatever house because she you know we want to do up the property there, there's strict guidelines now around that though uh, there's clarity. Um, that doesn't make your your tenure more secure. Um, there are clear uh, grounds on, on which um, a tenant can, you know, lose their their tenancy. Um, and of course, tenants can lose their tenancy if they breach um, their lease. You know, if they uh, for a whole host of reasons. But I guess if we're my my kind of issue really is about the aspiration for for rented housing more generally, um, and our over reliance over many many years on the private rented sector okay. to deliver what is a service. That's something we're going to come to in a moment. I'm going to come to you, Margaret, in just a second. But just Tom, you wanted to pick up on one of those yeah, points it, there. It, it's an important point to remember if you are in the rental market looking for accommodation is that you get much better security of tenure if you rent from an institution or from one of the venture funds or one of the cuckoo funds as they call it because they can't repossess the house because they want their nephew Johnny to move into the property uh, so that's that's removed from them they also rent accommodation that is a very good uh, usually to a very good standard so they're not going to repossess the property because they want to uh, refurbish it and thirdly they're not going to uh, they're not likely to uh, sell uh, the individual units they want the entire block so and that's their their stance they're going to be here for a long period of time so if you're in the market looking for security of tenure your best bet is to rent from one of the big corporates Okay can I ask you Margaret McCormack just on a couple of the points that have been raised there by by John and Tom but maybe just first first of all on that last point from Tom about you know the likes of these kind of so-called vulture funds they actually provide much more security for, for the likes of me the renter they, we need um, all types of landlords in the country. So, so big funds. We need big funds. We need small landlords. We need a mixture of everything, and and everything that supply, that adds to supply benefits the sector. Um, absolutely, Tom's point around the fact that they can't terminate on the basis of family need. Uh, that's not there, so that's out. They do have a different type of uh, policy around their refurbishment. Uh, they like to refurbish very frequently to keep their properties up to a very good standard. So, so they could use that. That's that's part of their uh, their model. That they the rents would be high. The standards of the accommodation are high. So that's that's one of one of their their um, methods mm. of of keeping standards up. We're looking at um, security of tenure, and we don't have to have one size fits all. We have to have a, se- a section that that it actually makes good sense for anybody anywhere to give long term leases. And, and that could always be done. The problem is that uh, in, the, in the current market, there's, there's a huge lack of stability. There's huge difficulties around it because the, the legislation continually changes. Um, and, and a case in point is, is, is we have a, a member in Cork that gave a long-term lease, an indefinite lease. Rest of, they could stay there for life. Five-year rent increases to market rent every five years. Uh, they've given that. Uh, and they, they've given that to a few people. Their problem now is that the uh, rent restrictions have limited them to uh, a very low percentage increase and they're at nearly a third of the market on, on the properties. So for them, it's actually unsustainable for them to continue letting. So what do you mean? You mean the, the rent pressure zones have, have put, yes, the, tightened the reins? 
Well, they, it, there's, a, there's a limit. When the rent pressure zones came in, it didn't matter what your rent was. You were caught at that level of rent and you couldn't uh, raise the rent above the amount allowable within the formula. So that's in, in some cases that ends up being 2% a month, uh, a year per annum. And in some cases that ends up being 4% per annum. But where you have substantially uh, below market rents, which in these cases they had, um, and they, there was an ability within their their lease so that they were restricted not to, not to do it. And, and they were being as fair as they possibly could. They were caught. So we need something around, we need confidence and stability in the market. We need to encourage long-term leases in the market. So, I, I mean, I don't think we're, we're ever going to have the big companies coming in around small rural villages and places around the country. Uh, so we're still going to need our, our, our smaller landlords or our landlords that, that, I mean, two thirds of all accommodation is provided by landlords with uh, less than three properties. That's two thirds of all of the accommodation in this country is, is provided by them. We Even need, yeah, yeah, we need yeah. to keep them. It, it, it's, it's a huge, uh, our, our, one of our biggest problems now is, is, is that so many of them are leaving. Um, and although we're getting in some of the bigger, uh, the bigger players, we're still losing so many of the landlords that are providing the accommodation. And somebody in a very rural place would be delighted to get a long-term lease. But there's no benefit for a landlord to give that. So we need to have the market, that there are a number of different different uh, facets in the market. And if it was financially viable for a landlord to give a long-term lease, I mean, if the government came in and, and actually started to say, well, right, we'll give incentives for long-term leases. Then it makes it makes financial sense to give them. Okay, do, they do, can change. They can change the the whole issue. That the whole uh, thinking of the market. They did it in agricultural land, so they could do it in in the private okay, sector. Can I, can I just bring you in, just maybe for just Tom on that idea of perhaps providing an incentive in the area of um, trying to encourage or giving some form of initiative to to long term leases? Yeah, there's nothing in the legislation that prevents a landlord giving a tenant a long term lease. The uh, legislation is, is, if you like, silent on that. Uh, is there a fear, though, over some sort of kind of a squatter's right? Is that there is to some extent in the sen- in the sense that if you give somebody a lease for uh, you know twenty years, uh, well, the only way you can sell that property wi- is with the property uh, encumbered, to use the phrase, mm. uh, by that tenant. And um, property that is encumbered by a tenant will be worth less than a property where you can offer vacant possession. So the landlord, in some way, is taking a bit of a hit if they give a tenant a long-term lease. But many, many landlords have no intention of selling and yeah. would not foresee themselves as being in the market to sell a property for a long time. It probably is for their pension, so they're looking very mm. deep into And if into you have it. a decent tenant and they're... Yeah, they're not going to move out. But the, as Margaret says, that the uh, economic incentives around this are not great. And also, for the vast majority of tenants, uh, they don't really want long-term security. I mean, the vast majority of tenants want to uh, rent for a period of their mm. lives. They're not necessarily in the market or long-term uh, leases, but there are tenants in the market for long-term leases and they do need to be okay. accommodated. Well, we're going to come to the, the makeup of the market, I suppose, a little bit later in the programme, but John Mark McCafferty from Threshold, I suppose, this idea of perhaps providing some sort of an incentive or an encouragement to landlords to give the, the renters a long-term lease, would you see that as an attractive option? It's an option. It's all about the, the design and the devil would be in the detail. Um, for us, we're more of a rights-based approach organisation, so... Um, we're looking for changes in policy and the law which will um, aim to ensure that tenants have you know, greater security. So where you leave things to, if you like, the market through certain incentives, you're going to have um, Apache um, adherence to it. Certain things are, that are designed for um, landlords or indeed other groups to take up through tax. 
aren't always um, taken up to the extent that we anticipate. Um, so there's a place for them. They would have to be, you know, properly considered based on on, on data. Okay. Um, but you know, I, I think what's happening right now with regard to the, the changes in the law are absolutely key. So let's see what, what those changes, how they will run through. Okay, we we do just have to take a very short break. We're going to come back with more on this. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines program. We'll be back with more on this issue from with our panel in just a moment. Between the lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we're discussing the rental market in 2019. We're asking how can we provide a more suitable and sustainable rental sector to the Irish renter. Our panel this morning that's still with us today, the Information Officer with the Irish Property Owners Association, Margaret McCormack, John Mark McCafferty, CEO with Threshold, and also Tom Dunn, who's the Head of School of the Surveying and Construction Management at TU Dublin. My thanks to you all for staying with us today. Margaret, could you just put a figure on it for us? What would you see as a proper or an attractive um, incentive for, say, you, the landlord, to provide me, the tenant, who's perhaps been your tenant for six or ten years, with some sort of a long-term lease? Like, what what would you foresee as being a practical solution in that sense? That's a very difficult question. Um, I think it, it would have to be something that um, makes a difference to the yield of the property. So a ta- it, some sort of a tax credit? It, yeah, or? Ta- yeah, a tax incentive. Um, I mean... We, we know that a lot of people don't want long-term leases, but if you're going to give a long-term lease, there has to be something there that, that won't be changed, won't be moved, that you can be certain of. Um, I mean, the last time they brought in tax incentives, they, 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 were, they looked at pulling them back later after people had actually uh, entered into them. So it has to be something that's, that's secure, has to be something that, that is something that mm. can be guaranteed that is going to go through for the, for the long term. And it has to be very easy to use because the complexity of everything is just incredible. Tom Dunn, tax credits, are they a practical solution okay. to this? There's, it's a very complex question. Let me handle it this way. Say, number one, <clears throat> if you do go down the road of tax incentivising landlords, it will have an effect on the wider market. And the question there will be the balance of advantage uh, to between first-time buyers who will be buying houses <clears throat> and uh, landlords. And you could set up a regime where <coughs> excuse me, where you're setting landlords, uh, you know, giving them an advantage which allows them to buy the supply that comes on the market over uh, for people who want to buy for their own accommodation. So getting the balance there is very, mm. very difficult. And just how you go about doing that would be very complex and needs to be uh, thought. The other problem you have is that a lease is a liability. Uh, if you take on a lease, you are signing an agreement to pay somebody else the rent for so long as the lease exists. Now, under the existing Residential Tenancies Act, there are ways a tenant can get out of that. They're very simple and they're fairly straightforward. So I would argue that any tenant who's thinking of taking a long-term lease needn't worry about it because you will be able to get out. But it will take a bit of time. You've either got to substitute another tenant in or dispose of your lease. Um, so from the perspective of the, the legislation, it's it's all in place to allow that. It's the economics of it that don't uh, that prevent it. And the government would have concerns if they incentivise landlords that they would then set up a, a market regime where landlords are in competition with people who want to own or occupy. Yeah. And the stance of the government is to help owner occupiers. Okay, I suppose the reality is though in today's market in 2019, we have so many people, I of which I'm, I'm one of them, who, you know, living in Dublin, you're paying extortionate rent and you're trying to save for the deposit at the same time. The difficulty is, if you're the, if you're somebody with one mortgage coming in to look at buying in Dublin, 
I mean, you know, your, your ability to, to buy or to purchase over a decade is going to be extremely difficult. So for somebody in, I just use myself as the example, my own position, the likes of some sort of a long-term lease doesn't seem that unappealing, John Mark McCaffrey. That's what we'd like to move towards. I mean, we talk about um, the desire for indefinite tenancies. So in other words, leases that last for a very long time. And the reality in the market is, in the private rented market is, people are staying longer in the private rented sector. Um, it is no longer the twilight zone. It is no longer just a place for, for students or people to stay for a couple of years, um, as you mentioned, to try and save up for a mortgage because many people just structurally, they can't. Mm. Um, you know, their resources are used up in the rent and then all their other outgoings. Um, so we're seeing a situation where people are, some people are locked out of the private rented market. They're staying, you know, with, with parents and even grandparents and others are locked in to the private rented market. They, they might not necessarily want to be there. They might want to be owning their own home, as you've mentioned, but they simply can't get the resources there um, in order to um, access a mortgage. Um, so the reality is increasing numbers of us are in the private rented sector. More families are in the private rented sector. People are growing older in the private rented sector. And so therefore, while we might not want to start from here, we are in a situation where the private rented sector is growing. So let's make it a more humane place to live. Let's make it a more sustainable sector to live. And it's not its not just the, the, the young as well, I suppose, uh, John Mark McCafferty, that are looking to kind of get on this housing ladder. We, we hear time and time again about single people in their mid-60s who are coming to retirement age and who are still in the rental sector. So for the likes of them, just to finish on that point, John Mark, you know, I'm sure they would all, many people would look for, for some sort of a long-term tenancy too. Yeah, I mean... You know, we're looking at people in their in their thirties, forties who won't um, be moving to owner occupation. But increasingly, what we're seeing, and indeed other charities working with older people are seeing, um, is older people in the private rented sector remaining in the private rented sector. Now, what's the future for them in terms of affordability? Will they be on the housing assistance payment when they hit pensions? And um, how about their their health needs? You know, will landlords accommodate? you know, mobility aids and, and, and changes mm, yeah. to a house or an Adaptions, apartment. yeah. Adaptions. Um, and also, our entire kind of care and health system is based on older people with their own home and no mortgage and being able to leverage that against care. Um, and that is very, very rapidly kind of changing. You see, it's all fine, I suppose, Tom Dunn, when you're the when you're the circle that fits into the circle spot. But when you're the box trying to fit into the circle, if you're the 67 year old retired man who who is still renting a property and all of a sudden you need your house adapted for various different mobility requirements it can be a huge issue. Sure. And I'm sitting with a group and uh, looking at this and we've concluded from a variety of different sources, we've concluded that the only way to deal with this in the long run is for the government to sit down and have a look at housing in the broadest possible way, including health, including social welfare, and to not look at housing as as a, a task to solve a short term problem that we have in the market at the present time. So what we're going to try and call on government, uh, not government, all political parties to do, to put into their manifestos that we'll have some sort of broad look at housing uh, over the next couple of years so we get away from this uh, cycle of crisis to surplus uh, which affects our banking system, affects our economy. We just need a broader look at housing that takes into account issues like uh, John Mark points out to, which I think is going to become a real problem, and that is mm. people who get to the age of 66, 67, 68 
they are no longer in the workforce, they're relying on their pension, their pension is not going to pay the rent, so the government are going to have to pay for the, for the rental accommodation. So it's a social welfare problem as well as a housing problem. Just Margaret, I suppose, on some of these points, we're talking today about the rental sector in a very, I suppose, broad sense. Is that something that you think perhaps your members might be willing to look at? These kind of, the various different aspects we've t- touched on here, but taking into consideration people's health and mobility? Members will look at lots of different things, but sometimes accommodation just isn't suitable for somebody growing older. Um, the biggest difficulty here is not the private rental sector. It's it's the fact that there isn't enough social housing. So uh, they're trying to put people that, that should be in social housing into the private rental sector. And as a result, uh, we have um, a shortage of accommodation in the private rental sector. So we have different methods and different places for people to be but we're not providing those places as a state. So, so the government basically has failed to provide social housing. Then they're trying to make the private rental sector um, a place for social housing. And now, it, there's, I mean, a lot of landlords are very happy to take anybody from any walk of life anywhere. Uh, wouldn't be discriminatory. But it doesn't always function for the people themselves. As you said, I mean, if, you, if you're in, on the fourth or fifth floor of, of uh, a house um, or even the third floor of a house in, in, in units... It's not going to be easy for you when you, uh, as you get older. Uh, it's not going to be possible for them to, to put a lift into that accommodation. So an awful lot of this is, 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 is social housing. The answer is the social housing. And changing the, the private rental sector, um, and, and it's continual. The legislation keeps changing around it. There's no confidence and stability in, in, this, in the sector. It is really, really difficult for me to keep on top of it and I work at it every day mm. so I can imagine people uh, and when we look at two thirds of all accommodation is provided by people with less than three it is almost impossible I mean what was right last time isn't right this time uh, you know every time how they give a rent increase changed everything they, it, they're working out they nearly need to be mathematicians to work out the systems there for rent increases uh, so Everything around the sector is changing, but okay. it's not it's not helping. It's it's really not doing a lot for, for it's not doing a lot for the sector because we're losing landlords, so we're losing supply. It's not doing it's the social housing element needs to be concentrated on. Tom Don, you want to come in on that? Yeah, I think Margaret's making a really important point there. Uh, as the government moved to uh, try and adopt the legislation to the circumstances, the short term circumstances they're finding uh, they're facing. What they're doing is they're making the legislation more and more and more complex and the formulas they put in for uh, increase in rents are quite complex. So what that does is it means that the one-off landlords, the people who are in the majority of cases providing the accommodation, they're beginning to find they can't manage it because they don't understand it. It's become too complex and that acts as a disincentive for them to get out. Curiously enough, uh, if you're a professional landlord, if you're a REIT or a, uh, you know, as they call them, a, a, a vulture fund, you employ the people who will m- make sure you steer your way through that complex legislation uh, very adroitly. Mm. So you're changing the balance of advantage in the market away from individual landlords to corporates by having complex legislation. Okay. Can I ask you, John Mark McCaffrey, are we too overly reliant for social housing needs on the private rental sector? We have historically been too reliant, but that has been as, as a result of decisions, political decisions, I would say, since the 80s. Um, Ireland used to build social housing, and since the 80s there was, a, you know, there was a divestment in terms of tenant purchase, and then government and local authorities simply didn't build social housing to the extent that they used to. And even during the Celtic Tiger, um, there wasn't that level of output that was required. 
And I guess it's the perfect storm because we've massive demand given the buoyancy uh, in, in the uh, economy. We have um, you know, significant in-migration. Um, and we, we still, even though there's a lot of construction going on, there's still um, an under-delivery of housing being constructed. I mean, uh, one figure that strikes me is that on the 9th of April, so a couple of days ago, on Daft, there were only 2,000 units right across the state that were available for a rent of less than 2,000 uh, euro. Um, so 2,000 units um, that were that were available for less than 2,000 euro okay. a month. So you've got that mix of a lack of supply and a lack of affordability. And yes, I mean, I understand the historical context that, um, you know, landlords with one or two units aren't well-placed. And I have huge sympathies with them trying to negotiate the, the current and the future legislation in relation to this, it is very complex. Um, however, um, it is where a growing number of people are living. Um, and we are not seeing the level of supply uh, coming on stream either in terms of owner-occupied housing or social housing. Um, and while um, build has increased in the last number of years, it's still nowhere near the kind of targets we need to be building like across the board about 30,000 units every year until about 2024. Um, my understanding is we built around, uh, the, the country built around about 19,000 units last year. It is increasing, so the momentum is building, but we're still nowhere near. So there is a need, a clear need mm. to change legislation and improve security of tenure and ensure um, levels of affordability for people who currently are in the rental sector. Is it more attractive, Margaret, for the likes of your members to opt to lease or rent their property to social housing, local authority or to in the private sector? Everybody does what suits them. But the problem with with, uh, letting to, to the local authority is that they don't pay market rent. So straight off, there's a cut on the amount of rent that that you will receive for the property. So it's restricted. Um, and it's the same same sort of thing that, that the HAPS, it, it should be a really good system and it could be a really good system. But it pays rent in, in, in arrears when the market pays rent in advance. It doesn't pay market rent. There's, res- there's restrictions um, around um, the, the time it takes to get approval. Um, the local authority who will be paying the rent, won't speak to the landlord in any case uh, because of data protection. So they don't talk to the landlords. But if the tenant doesn't pay their portion to the local authority, everything stops. So the systems that they create don't actually meet the need of the market. Because I would have thought that as a landlord, if I was renting my property to um, a local authority across the country, it's a guaranteed payment I know I'm going to get every month. HAP is not a guaranteed payment. If a tenant doesn't pay their portion to the local authority, it's stopped. Well, that's stopped. for the, the, pe- the, tenants, the tenant's portion, though. Yeah, that's so if the tenant doesn't pay... No, it's not just the tenant's... On HAP, if the tenant doesn't pay their portion to the local authority, the local authority stops everything. So you get nothing. Um, and in, in a case like that, it, it is so short-sighted, it's unbelievable because people have... Families have issues. There can be difficulties. Um, they can be dealing with maybe addiction or there can be even mel- mental health issues. But th- there's issues, uh, financial issues. So they're not paying the local authority. The money stops for, uh, for the landlord, all of it. So there's no income whatsoever. Then it takes an awful long time to go through, through the OTB t- to, to get vacant possession with no income during that whole period. And at the end of the period, everybody loses. The landlord loses because they, they've got no income. The tenants... Um, although there'll be no sanction on the tenants for doing it mm. uh, in general because they would have no income in any case 
uh, they will lose their accommodation. So that they'll be going into accommodation, homeless accommodation, which won't necessarily be fit for their purposes or, or suit their needs. And the state then uh, loses because they're paying more for the accommodation in homeless, which isn't necessarily suitable for them. So the systems need to be redesigned. They need to be much more uh, uh, user-friendly. They need to be to meet the need of the market um, and the need of the tenant as well. There needs to be something there that actually helps. Uh, as soon as a tenant stops, stops uh, paying, there needs to be some sort of uh, intervention that they can discuss the situation and sort the situation because, I mean, in a lot of cases, they, 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 the money is coming from social welfare. In any case, the, the portion that they're paying, paying is coming from social welfare. Okay. We'll come to you, Tom Dunn, in just a moment. But just John Mark McCafferty, on some of those points raised by Margaret, would you agree with her? Well, the, the study that we did and, and launched a couple of days ago does point to the fact that because HAP isn't set at the market rate, um, a lot of people in receipt of HAP find themselves having to top up substantially. Um, and so there are the affordability issues that I mentioned earlier um, in the programme. Um, and that means that there are kind of budgeting issues for a, a portion of the renters that we're talking about. And what we find, you know, while th- there are issues there and challenges clearly for, for landlords, there are also challenges for, for tenants because if they find themselves in a situation of arrears and they're a HAP tenant, they um, can find themselves, uh, their, their HAP payments being discontinued um, very, very quickly um, from that system. Okay. So it's a very unforgiving system for a renter that may be in financial difficulty. Um, and as we know, you know, if someone is in financial difficulty with a mortgage arrear, uh, that system can be um, can can take weeks, months, years. The intervention of MABS um, as a player there to support and advise um, the uh, the homeowner. Um, so there's there is the requirement for further forbearance for certain households, certain renters who are in receipt of HAP but are struggling because, as I say, ten percent of those that we surveyed are spending at least forty percent of their income on rent. That is unsustainable, and it means they're either paying the rent and going without certain key things, or indeed they they are at risk of losing their home. Okay, just Tom Dunn on that point, just the housing assistance payment, the HAP payment. Do you think it would need a revamp? Yeah, it does. Now, if you follow the logic of this, if the government is to increase HAP up to the market rent, well, the market rent will start going away from them again. And uh, all that will happen is that the people they give their HAP substance uh, subsidy to will be competing with other people in the market uh, who are uh, trying to rent. So you'll get, generally, rents will go up. In other words, it's an attempt by the state to allow people who are in receipt of house, houses uh, receipt of HAP to bid other people mm. out of the marketplace. So you'll just drive rents up. Uh, so that's got to be carefully calibrated. The way the government manage that is they do precisely what Margaret is saying, is they kind of provide, a, 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 you know, HAP at a lower than market rent. And that kind of makes sure that they're not bidding other people out of the market insofar as they can manage that. There's an argument that they're not doing that in places where there's a severe shortage like yeah. Dublin or Cork or Galway. So that HAP system is predicated upon there being a normal supply of accommodation coming into the marketplace. When there isn't, when we've got a shortage, it has serious problems. And that points to a very important point that I think the government are not getting, which is that the supply of social housing underpins the market. The market does not work effectively or efficiently unless there's an adequate supply of social housing for those who need social housing for a period of their lives. Why are we not providing enough of us? Well, that's, my view now is that that's purely ideological. It's purely a state of mind of the, uh, of the government that doesn't see social housing as being part of the infrastructure that we need to have in a modern market economy. 
So there's too much of reliance in assuming people will become owner, owners yeah, themselves? The stance, yeah, well, that's another question, but the, the stance of government seems to be that social housing or those who are in need of social housing uh, who probably are, are, are less well able economically to look after themselves can be provided with accommodation in the private sector. So if they get the market working properly, uh, the supply will come on stream and the problem will be solved. What I'm saying is that won't solve the problem. Uh, you need a, a, a substantial amount of social housing to be provided in the same way as we need to provide schools, churches, well, we don't provide churches, but uh, <laughs> schools, roads. Yeah. It just it needs okay. to be seen as infrastructure. We're going to take a very short break. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more from our panel in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to the final part of today's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. We're discussing the rental sector in Ireland in 2019. Our panel is still with us. John Mark McCafferty, CEO of Threshold. Tom Dunn, the Head of School of Surveying and Construction Management at TU Dublin. And Margaret McCormick, who's the Information Officer with the Irish Property Owners Association. There's quite a lot to digest in terms of how we're going to address the rental sector in Ireland uh, in, in, today's, in today's era. But can I ask you, Margaret, I suppose, just on a final point, um, what is it the Irish Property Owners Association want to see either changed or revamped or developed to try and make the the rental sector a more attractive option for your current landowners or, or property owners to stay in the sector and not to leave? And how do we possibly try and provide more rental properties for the, the ever-increasing rental sector? Uh, so the first thing would be taxation. We need to look at taxation and we need to put taxation in place that actually encourages investment, not discourages it. Uh, the legislation around the sector is way too complex. We need it simplified. We need Investors need confidence and stability uh, and that's what they, they need it. So we need legislation to, to stop changing so that when somebody uh, invests in something, they know what they're facing uh, legislatively and, and uh, in a taxation situation. Can I ask yourself, uh, John Mark McCafferty, from the renter's perspective, what do you want to see changed or addressed? Well, I've mentioned security of tenure um, and uh, tenants um, being able to avail of longer longer leases and being able to um, see the place that they're living in as a home. It's a landlord's property, but ultimately it is a tenant's home. So for whether it's a family or an individual, um, people wish to, to put down roots um, children at local schools, ac- accessing the kind of services that Tom was mentioning. So security of tenure is really, really important and in, indefinite tenancies will help. Um, but um, as has also been mentioned, the private rented sector is one part of the jigsaw. It's a large part of the jigsaw. But as Tom also mentioned, um, it is predicated on social housing being available. And last year, um, there was only um, 18% of uh, social housing achieved um, through, say, the build of local authority Mm. or housing association housing. Um, And the majority, 70% last year that's called social housing was in fact private rented housing secured through housing assistance and rent supplement. Um, That doesn't have the security of tenure. And so the importance of building social housing and not just acquiring it from the market, because when you buy from the market, you're also chasing after a good that you know, um, uh, people who are trying to buy their own mm-hmm. home might, might be chasing after as well, and it could ele- elevate prices. So if we're looking at the building and the delivery by local authorities, there needs to be a stronger level of ambition by local authorities, okay. but also um, to support the approved housing bodies in uh, in their task of building social housing. 
and also a policy shift because rebuilding Ireland, which is the government's flagship policy, which focuses on on housing kind of across the board, it is predicated on a, a reliance, I would argue, an over-reliance on the private rented sector to deliver for what it officially calls social housing. Okay. Can I ask you finally, Tom Dunn, I suppose, the very same question and... You're obviously dealing with and talking to and lecturing the uh, the, the next wave of, of uh, developers, I suppose, and, and people in the construction industry. Why are more of them not actually developing? What are the what are the hurdles? Well, well there's all sorts of complexities in that, and that's an, an interesting area. There's another dimension to this, and there's the whole planning system, the land management system. What we need to do is, if we look at the health sector, we the, the Eurocta sat down and looked at the health sector and came up with Solange Care. We need to do something similar for the housing sector and look at how what is our what we want to see in the housing sector going forward so it's settled. What we want to do then is look at the interaction between the housing structures and tax, social welfare and planning so that we can have a system that works. The problem we have now is our system is not working and it's ending up in these crises which has effects on the banking system, effects on the employment system and competitiveness and all this. We need to settle, have a settled view about housing going out into... 20 years, 30 years. Lots to consider and digest on the programme today. My thanks to you all for joining us. I'm afraid that is all we have time for. My thanks to the panel, Information Officer with the Irish Property Owners Association, Margaret McCormack, John Mark McCafferty, who's the CEO with Threshold, and also Tom Dunn, who's the Head of School of Surveying and Construction Management at TU Dublin. If you've missed any of the programme, you can download the podcast on our website at newstalk.com or search for News Talks Between the Lines in iTunes or any other podcast player. My thanks to the production team today, Elaine Power and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with breakfast briefing on Monday morning from 6 and with Between the Lines again this time next week. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a great day.